Welcome to your weekly episode of Reset 42. In each episode, we want to carefully sit with the vulnerability and generosity of a guest who has reset their life. Some have just kicked life into gear again. Others are truly survivors. And we'll speak with people who have dug deep to find their passion and reset to a true north. It all begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Well, how excited am I that we are at the point in the Reset 42 podcast where we're about to start meeting our guests. And this week, we're starting off with Gavin James. I caught up with Gavin in Valencia, Spain, as he's sailing around the world with his wife, Shona. Now, the audio's a little bit scratchy, and that's because Gavin had to try and find a special place, we call it McDonald's, where they had some Wi-Fi so he could connect to the internet and we could do this recording. So there's a little bit of a story behind everything. From what I hear, Gavin also had to make his way on his scooter back through the rain to his boat. And there's a photo on his Facebook of the drowned rat that resulted because of Gavin's commitment to get this interview done. This is a little bit longer, but this is an incredible life story to talk about. So I hope you're going to enjoy the next 40 minutes as we talk to Gavin James in Spain. Now, here's your host, Father of the Year in 2009, according to the four judges who received an iPod for Christmas, it's Andrew Pitchford. Well, here on Reset 42, I have been looking forward to this interview for some time. I'm going to be talking with Gavin James. He and Shona are sailing around the world. We're going to find out a little bit about their boat. At the moment, they're docked in Valencia in Spain. We're going to find out exactly what all that noise is going on. Gav, thanks for joining us on Reset 42. Where have we caught you right now? Well, it's my pleasure, Andrew. Um, thank you for having me. We are, well, I am right now sitting in a McDonald's cafe uh, because it's one of the best places I can get internet right now. Um, but yes, no, we're in Valencia. Yeah. The international currency and the international food menu. <laughs> That's right. Well, I reckon they should see how well uh, your country's doing by if, if you buy a Big Mac in, the, in their country and see what the price of it is and the quality and that sort of thing. So. It's reasonably good here. <laughs> Gabe, you tell me that at the moment um, there's a little bit of a storm brewing, so you, you're docked in there, you've been having a look around. I saw that you were biking, you've been to Barcelona. What's Spain like on first impressions? I love Spain, mate. It's absolutely beautiful. It's really, really nice, and the people are really friendly. The, the language barrier is a bit of an issue at times, but with Google Translate and, and, and sign language, you can sort of get away with things pretty well. Um, we've got a, a SIM card. A uh, local SIM card which we use, and um, uh, so we've we've sort of we can look things up on the internet and, and get pictures of different things, whatever we require, and and, and generally that gets us by. Um, but no, the, the people here are really friendly and really helpful, and and I just I love I've loved the history of the whole Mediterranean. It's been just amazing. This is kind of the final leg for us in the Mediterranean, and um, yeah, it's a good one to finish on. So tell us about this journey that you and Shona are on. You're, you're in this boat that to me looks like it should be in a bathtub, but it's obviously doing the job for you. This is the White Arrow. Tell us about the journey in the boat that you've got. Um, well, we, uh, the boat is a, it's a Salona uh, 44, and, which is 44 feet, um, 13.5 metres. It uh, was built in Croatia. We wanted something strong because our, our dream was to, to purchase it and then uh, sail at home. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a long way, and so we wanted something that was going to last and 
And a lot of the boats that we were looking at, they call them blue water boats, which are they're made really solid, so they're you know they're almost indestructible. Some of these things, we knew that we needed things like uh, water makers and solar panels and, and all of that sort of stuff if we're going to spend a month at sea um, with no one around us. Uh, you know, we're going to certainly require that sort of thing. You're sounding like a, a Kiwi who's been sailing for years and years <laughs> and years. In fact, I would be convinced that I was interviewing Bruce Farr, the, the kind of America's Cup designer. But this this is something fairly new to you. So kind of how quickly did you embrace the sailing idea and kind of hitting the seas? Um, well, you, you learn pretty quickly eh, when, you, when you're sort of thrown into it. It was probably about 2008. Um, Shona and I got married in 2000, about 2008. Up until that time, we had blended two families together. And, and that process, uh, for anyone who has done it, is, is a bit of a mission. Fortunately, our, our um, kids all stepped down nicely in age. They were, you know, they, they, there was none that were exactly the same age. Um, so it kind of fitted, you know, the, in a normal type family that, you know, you would sort of see the age gaps and that. It, just the stresses of doing all of that was, was pretty insane. So I think I mentioned to you um, about how uh, when we blended the families together, we would just head down and bum up and you just go for it. You've got no time to think, no time to do anything. You've just got to do the day-to-day stuff, get the kids to school, get them off to their sports and you know, and just managing life, which is pretty difficult in itself. And then in 2008, some friends of ours um, said to us, oh, look, you know, do you want to come out with us just for a day? Uh, and they had a yacht. So we said, oh, yeah, sure, let's, let's do that. Not not really knowing anything about it. but So we went with them, and um, uh, we sailed from uh, Gulf Harbour, which is just north of Auckland, to Rangitoto Island, and uh, that only took a couple of hours. And We, we anchored there and, and uh, stayed there for a few hours, had some lunch and a bit of a swim, and, and went back again. There was nothing really to it except that. And it was honestly, Andrew, the most relaxing day we had had in, Oh, for me, probably 10 or 15 years. It was just incredibly relaxing. And on the way home, I said to Shona, I said, you know, you know, we could, why don't we get a boat? You know, we had talked about maybe buying a batch, but, you know, a lot of them are out of our price range. So that bringing, getting a yacht would bring the price down dramatically. And obviously, we'd have sea views wherever we went. So um, <laughs> that was a bit of a plus too. Now, the White Arrow, you actually went all the way to Croatia. Mm. Was there anything particular? that attracted you to go all that way to pick up a yacht? There wasn't one just around the corner in Whangaparoa? Um, well, we actually, uh, we did look in New Zealand briefly, but kind of like the adventure of coming over here was a bit of an attraction. But also, um, price-wise, I mean, there are so many yachts over here, gazillions of them for sale. And obviously, you know, economy to scale, you, you, the prices are going to be a lot cheaper. Uh, so, yeah, we, we decided to have a look over here and, and um, sell everything up. And uh, so we did. We, we sold our family home. Uh, we had um, a rental property uh, and we sold that, came over and, and sort of the rest is kind of history almost. <laughs> yeah. We're here in Brisbane, Australia, talking to Gavin James in the port of Valencia, Spain, who's on a world trip. And if you had a look at his Instagram, you'd, say, you'd see the um, description, two Kiwis with a dream visit faraway places, experience new cultures and share a bit of us, sold the house, got the yacht, now the work, sorry, fun begins. <laughs> now, I see you've also included on your website Mark Twain's quote, 
20 years from now, you'll be more disappointed by the things you didn't do than those you did. So throw off the bowlines, sail away from safe harbor, catch the wind in your sails, and explore, dream, discover. Mm. You are truly making this your own. Was that quote in mind when you started off on this journey? Um, it was, and it kind of fitted after we had been, uh, you know, that day out with, with our friends so on their yacht. Um, it just fitted very appropriately. And I, I guess it's one of those things, you know, you sort of, um, I, I, I like to do things and, and, you know, the things I say that I do, I, I'd like to do, then I, I'd really do my best to, to do them. If I, um, sometimes we can dream about things and, you know, they might come to pass, they may not come to pass, that's okay. But this was sort of something that, um, yeah, we think we could do this and, and why not? Yeah. Um, I guess the, the some of the, the, the things in our in our life that sort of help persuade us that way. For us, um, my first wife died at the age of thirty five, so you know I, I certainly know how um, life can be fragile, and uh, that was a horrible experience to go through. And there was so much more she had to give to offer, and you know I got some serious questions <laughs> about that. It just like you know. It does your head in uh, if you if yeah. you let if you let it get to you too much. But I guess that one of the things that uh, she said to me before she died is that uh, you know she said you know there was so much time wasted. Now to anyone else that that seems like you know you can imagine what that statement might be. Um, but for me it held a special significance because her and I had talked about. Um, the time that we had been in Auckland, because we moved from Christchurch to Auckland in, uh, back in 1993. Our kids were little, and um, we moved up there for work. Now, when Wendy, um, uh, when she came up, it was a real struggle for her. And one of the things that she um, meant by that statement was that um, she had hung on to so many of her friends and family in Christchurch and it was, and she didn't let them go. You know, um, she didn't want to make new friends in Auckland. I, um, she found it really difficult, and she wasn't a, you know, she wasn't a difficult person to get to know. And many of the, her friends would tell you that she's, you know, she's a beautiful woman. Um, but she just hung on, I think, too much to Christchurch, and 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 almost refused to make close friends in Auckland. And I think as a result. Um, there was a stress that came in there, which really, look, I'm not saying the stress caused the cancer, Andrew, but um, I absolutely 100% believe that it exacerbated the whole situation and made everything worse. Um, just that stress level that she had put on herself. We had talked about it often. And so, yeah, the statement for me about, you know, um, so much wasted time was, was something that um, it just meant a little bit more to me. And I guess for her it was the regret, um, and for me, I, I never really had regrets about my life with her, apart from maybe I didn't recognise that stress level early enough. And, and, and look, I can beat myself up about that sort of thing, which I try not to, and and that. It, but it's it's just there in the back of the mind, you know. Um, it's just one of those things that I I, um, I have there, and it's uh, yeah something I guess I have to have to live with. Um, and it's certainly something that I, uh, I, you know, has helped with us making decisions to go forward and, and, and do something rather than just talk about it. Yeah.
Reset 42, a podcast to tell you you're not alone so that we can take just a little learning from someone who's opened the door on a new chapter. One of the things, Gavin, that um, we're trying to get people to see through Reset is that nothing is lost. We can learn from what's happened in the past, but we can also take a moment in time to basically wipe the memory just like we do with a phone but we've still got all the core there that we can work with. And I guess for yourself, you came out of Wendy passing, you become a single dad, then you meet Shona. Maybe you can just walk us through that in a moment. But you had a long period of time where it was just running 100 miles an hour before you could come up and take a breath to do what you're doing today. What else was happening for maybe the next 10 or 15 years? Uh, You mean the next after that? It, was, um, it came to the point where the single dad goes for a haircut and, and meets the new bride, <laughs> which, which I think is funny because you and I do not have much of a contribution to make to the hairdressing industry. Yeah, well, back then I did have a little bit of hair, you know, still, Andrew. Yeah, it was, it was a few wisps, you know, coming off the back and sides. So, well, yes, I mean, yeah, Shona was a hairdresser. And in actual fact, she, um, uh, she used to cut my son's hair, our eldest son, um, used to cut his hair and uh, my hairdresser had uh, had left and um, gone um, overseas somewhere and so I was looking for someone new and he said oh why don't you go down and see Shona so I did <laughs> and yeah it, it all happened from there. Um, so it wasn't an excuse there was a genuine reason for this but it did eventuate <laughs> into, into your relationship <laughs> with Shona and, and as you say the challenge of a blended family as well. Yeah yeah I mean Look, um, as a as a Christian, Andrew, you know, I I, uh, I just step back a little bit because as a as a Christian, a lot of people, you know, would talk about Wendy and say, well, this must have tested your faith and all this sort of thing. And and I looked at them, I just couldn't figure it out. I mean, I mean, I I, I really did not understand that statement because, as far as I'm concerned, it doesn't change who he is. It doesn't mean to say that I'm happy about the situation at all. And I'm that's I mentioned earlier on that I've got a few questions. And I certainly have some questions, and I do not know the answers to them. Um, but you know, it doesn't change. It never changed who he was for me. And I, and I, and I just uh, do. I blame him? No, I don't blame him. I mean, you know, it, crap happens in this life, and it, it, it doesn't matter who you are, whether you know you're a righteous person or an unrighteous person. You know. Um, you know, stuff happens to you and it's, you know, it can be pretty nasty. This life can be tough. So, I mean, and as a result of that, that's why I sort of thought, well, you know, we have to take the good with the bad. And so the good happened, uh, you know, like a couple of years after she had passed and and uh, I um, walked down the driveway and and uh, this absolutely drop-dead, just gorgeous hairdresser was um, waiting for me. And I look, I had been fishing, Andrew, and um, I was in, you know, grubby red shorts, and I stunk. I wa- I'd wash my hands, but you know what it's like when you've been fishing. You can't get that smell out. So I stuck my head in the door and said, oh, look, I've been fishing, and I smell a bit. You want me to go home, and we can change the point? She said, no, 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 come on in. You know, I love fishing. And I went, you'll do me. That's a really good plus. <laughs> yeah, so it was, it was, yeah, it was, it was excellent. It was a good start. That was a beautiful moment. Gavin, when you met Shona, Obviously, yep. Shona was bringing her life into your life. Did you have to basically not as much compromise, but understand each other? Because you were both on obviously quite challenging journeys um, of each of your own. 
yes, well, um, she had been through divorce and, and had a couple of kids, and uh, um, she she was actually really a, a she's a brilliant mum, and, and she wanted their you know her kids to break you know, um, to be brought up with their father, um, and I was absolutely cool with that, um, and I, I I mean I said to um, the boy's dad that you know look I'm not going to say anything negative about you ever in their presence and I really pushed hard not to do that because you know I just don't think it's right to you know have these conflicts and stuff so um yeah we um we we did blend together the families um that was kind of difficult and even managing the process of letting the kids get to know each other was was hard and you know we we would you know we had a lot of different ideas of what we could do and how we could do it and we talked to the kids about that, and then some of them didn't come off. And then, of course, you know, they would turn around to you and say, "Oh, you said you would do this, and well, we we wanted to do that, but we couldn't," you know. And so you have to go through all that process. And you know, for a good uh, three or four years, it took just to get into some sort of normality, if you like, if you can call it that, in a blended family. But it was, yeah, it was pretty tricky. The one thing that we did together, uh, Shona and I, were adamant that we would never disagree in front of the kids even if we did disagree with each other we would just uh, stop the conversation we we would you know just go and talk in private up you know a bit later on or and we, and we managed it it was sometimes it was a bit tricky because i'm i'm not very good at keeping my mouth shut eh? and so um i and i had to bite my tongue a few times but it, it generally it worked and so we always tried to uh present a united front with whatever situation we were faced with with the kids, and I think that helped. Yeah, that helped enormously. I mean, I've still got a few regrets about you know the way in which you know I would like to have done more with the kids, and I guess most parents do. You know, you you try and do your best, but you mean, I mean, hindsight's a wonderful thing, and you can think back of, of uh, lots of things that you could have, situations you could have handled better. And um, I guess I'm no different to any other parent. You, you know, you, you just try and do your best and with all of that. Gavin, you've had a, a number of times during your life because of these situations where you've had to take stock and I guess look at how do you reset. Now, you've mentioned that you have that ability to really just go hard and, and get through things. But are, is there strategies, are there ideas that you use that allow you to kind of reposition yourself, find north again? Well, I guess my motivation was the kids, really. I just want, I wanted them to you know, to complete their schooling and, and um, you know, to do as well as they could. And I, um, I mean, we, we basically had two holidays a year. We'd have a winter holiday and then we'd have a summer holiday. They weren't very long, but that's about all we could afford at the time. Um, so we just tried to um, do the best we could. And that, in the back of my mind, that's really what I, what I wanted was to provide, you know, something for the kids and, and keep them going and keep them as normal as possible because I think one of the better decisions I made was I, I wouldn't make any decisions, any major decisions, uh, for at least a year after Wendy passed because um, I, I didn't think that I was emotionally capable of making a, 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 the right decision. It, it, you know. So um, I really pushed through and, and did that. And so they were, the kids were at the back of my mind, you know, and, and mostly with, um, well, really at the forefront of my mind. And then pushing on after that in, in the things that we did and just getting on with life and that, just doing things day after day. I don't think there was no great secret to it or any anything like that. I don't think that I had really too much of a strategy. I just sort of 
just wanted them to keep going. So it was literally um, head down and bum up, like I mentioned, and, and just keep going it day after day. And, and sometimes it's a slog. You know, you're just doing the same thing time after time. And, and, and look, in that time, I had a couple of changes of jobs. The, the last one was actually one which gave me less income, um, but it was a it was a bit it was a job that I really enjoyed more. So um, I helped. That was a big help for me, rather than um, just the kids on their own. You've just celebrated your 60th birthday while you've been sailing, and I guess it's an interesting time when we hit these milestones in life where we actually ask ourselves, what have we learned, and what have we yet to learn? As, as you're looking at this moment in time, are you looking forward and backwards and, and thinking, I've done this, but I've still got this to do? Um, no, because we quite have, we haven't quite done uh, the sailing yet. We've still got to, you know, as I say, we're in Spain, so we've still got a, a few more nautical miles to travel yet to get home. Um, so this part of the journey hasn't finished. Uh, I guess when we get back, well, when we arrive back, which is approximately going to be about October uh, next year, at 60, I don't think I really, we were kind of too busy at the time, I must admit, to, to, to uh, sort of sit and reflect. Yeah. But interestingly, uh, you know, like last night we went to, uh, we met some other Kiwis in the, in the marina that we're staying at, and uh, they're in their 70s, and they're sailing around uh, the Med, although that kind of, when, when we had a chat with them, uh, Shona actually said to me when we got back to the boat, you know, this has encouraged me to, to go on and to, you know, to, you know, we can we can do it right through until, you know, into our 70s, which was kind of nice too. There's, there's an aspect of your journey that I really admire, and I don't know whether it's just that you've got a doggedness to go for it or whether you've been able to embrace it, but I look at the idea of ocean sailing and it would scare the living daylights out of me, the idea of being that far away from any form of safety. So how do you deal with that? Is it a case of feel the fear and do it anyway, or is it cautious planning? What would you say are the, the recipe for success? Oh, look, it's a, it's a bit of both of those. Um, look, right now, uh, because of our lack of experience, we, uh, we, we can't sort of, you know, the fear and do it anyway is sort of coming into play. Once you've done it a few times, like this guy that I was chatting to last night, he's done the Atlantic crossing, he's done, he's sailed all the South Pacific and stuff. And, and for him, it's a breeze. He just goes, oh, look, you'll, be, you'll do it no sweat. It's, you know, that's his attitude. And, and I'm sitting there thinking, yeah, right, it's easy for you to say. Um, but I hadn't done it before. So for us, it's a, it certainly is right now. We know the fear. We're just going to do it anyway. Um, but there's a lot of careful planning that we're going to do too. And we're, We've got um, we're getting a lot of advice from different people. Like I picked his brains last night about, uh, in particular, weather routing and and you know look, reading the signs and, and that type of thing. And uh, so it was actually really good. I learned a huge amount just chatting with him. Uh, and and you can find out so much online too these days about you know what to do and how to do it and and, and that. So um, yeah, I mean careful planning is, is certainly essential. And um, I mean we've now set our boat up. Uh, with a lot of those things I mentioned earlier, that so that it um, will be able will be able to uh, um, you know cross the ocean and not run out of of uh, water. We hope as long as the water maker keeps going, um, and even if it did, we've got a little backup in that we will take uh, a bunch of um, uh, you know one and a half liter bottles of water as well. We'll probably take it you know a few dozen of those, uh, and they'll just sit in the bilge and just do nothing the whole trip, hopefully. 
Um, but if we need them, then they're going to be there, and, and we could certainly last a long time on that sort of thing. So, yeah, we, there's, there's a number of, you know, careful planning is certainly something that you, you've got to do. It would be foolish not to. But the good thing about sailing that I like is that most of it's common sense. Um, you know, so you have to be, you know, quite frankly, you have to do some really silly things to, uh, to, to get yourself into serious trouble. We're talking with Gavin James, who is sailing around the world with his wife, Shona. It's been an incredible story, and we're just um, kind of getting a sense of it's all about the journey, not the destination. Mm. Gavin, people can find you at sailabout.kiwi on your website. Mm. Uh, there's an Instagram account which they can follow. Let's come back to that age-old saying, life is about the journey, not the destination. Mm -hmm. Can you give us some pearls of wisdom that you've been picking up along the way? I mean, what do you feel that you're really learning through this experience? You're not doing this for entertainment. I'm sure that there is some life journey that you're, you're trying to get out of this. You're squeezing it for everything you can do. Um, well, one of the things, when I was uh, working for my previous company, I remember going to uh, Thailand. Um, in fact, I think you were there too, Andrew, in that trip. Um, and uh, on that trip, I remember walking through some of the the poorer areas uh, in Thailand, in northern Thailand. And um, I just remember looking at the people and talking with the people. And, and then we would go into the markets and that. And it just fascinated me the, the, the fact that these people of their lives, they had grown up. Uh, in a completely different environment to what I was used to, and they had done, made the best of it or what they could with what they had. Some people were very, very poor, and other people were pushing hard to try and you know make a living. And it was just I found it fascinating looking at that. So for us, the journey is is about experiencing these new cultures, and we haven't just flitted around. We could have seen a lot more. What we like to do is to go to a place and spend a bit of time there and get to know some of the people and uh, talk with them and you know visit the, the local areas and that. There's always things to see, um, but just to experience a little bit more. So, And even that is quite short, but I think it gives me a better idea of what these people, you know, how they live on a, a daily basis. Seeing the sights and so forth, and the, you know, the it's just amazing. You go everywhere we go, you know, even like we've been to Tunisia in Northern Africa and, and you know, they've got Roman um, Roman amphitheatres and things that were because the Romans just seem to go everywhere around Europe um, and their ruins are just all over the place. And, um, yeah, so it's, it's fascinating for me just, you know, looking at all that, but certainly the people and trying to experience a little bit about what they do uh, and, and their – and it's, it's – interestingly, it has – changed my perspective a little bit, Andrew, on um, uh, my, my views of life because I think I took things perhaps a little bit too seriously, uh, you know, and, and, you know, my working hard that we talked about before and just getting on and doing things. There is a time for that, but, you know, sometimes I think we allow that attitude to just carry on beyond the, the point in time when it was for, and then we keep going and we push harder for, I don't know, could be thicker carpet or a nicer car or whatever it might be, and I just I, I'm I'm changing my views a lot on that, and, and I'm sort of thinking to myself, you know, there's more to life, uh, and it, it's been because of this experience that I'm sort of you know changing my views. Better than popcorn, this is real. It's life, and it's possibly just what you needed. Make sure you click subscribe wherever you're listening to get our next episode of Reset Forty Two. 
Now back to the reset with our guest. Can you remember a time, Gav, where everything went off the rails and came to a grinding halt? And how did you get the wheel started again? Uh, well, I mean, obviously it was when Wendy died. Um, you know, it was a short process that she had from when, we had, when she had a diagnosis until she died. It was only a few months. And during that time, uh, you know, there was just so much soul searching and that. And then all of a sudden she died and bang, that was it. It was like, what do I do now? I mean, I was like, I was just numb. Um, and look, for me, I, I really think that the thing that helped me get through it was the people around me. The, the people in the church, it was a small church. There might have been 20 or 30 in the congregation on a Sunday. So they organized uh, the local community, not just the Christians, everybody. Uh, and there was Muslims and, and other people involved, non-Christians. And they had this um, roster going um, where they bought us a meal every night. And I mean a three-course meal. That went on for nearly a year after she died. Um, and I just had to say no in the end because it was just it was becoming too much. That sort of support was just amazing for me. Um, it, it, it so helped me. Just talking with people, I think talking was the big thing that helped me get over and get, let, get me through the... The, the trauma of losing her. Um, I had some, you know, good mates that I would just just talk with, and sometimes we would just do nothing. I remember walking with my mate along the beach one day, and um, you know, he was he was sort of concerned that you know I had rejected God and all that. And I said, well, I rejected God, but I'm not happy with him. You know, it's really this whole thing's brass me off. And then we saw looked, and somebody had written God in the in the sand, and I went up to it and I kicked it. <laughs> And I just said, I don't want things written in the sand. I want her alive. You know, I was just in a, I was just, I was an emotional wreck, you know. But just having him to talk with and be able to express myself. And look, I would say that to anybody who's going through any sort of trauma, the number one thing you must do is to talk to somebody. And um, I mean, even quite frankly, if it's, if you're on a bus and, you know, you're feeling like absolute garbage. The person next to you, just start blabbing to them because they'll be in a better space than what you will be. They might think you're a fruit loop or something, but that's okay. So what? <laughs> I mean, I was at, and honestly, I was at the point where I could have done that, but I was very thankful for the uh, for the good friends that I had around me. So, yeah, that was my, how I got over my uh, trauma in my life. Yeah. Yeah, for you and Shona, there are going to be times when one partner's up, one partner's down, and you cover for each other. Have you and Shona found ways in which you call each other to account? Shona gives you the wake-up call, or you give her a wake-up call that helps you go on to the next thing together? Um, well, interestingly, it, it, it's often... It, I mean, those situations often occur too, Andrew, that, you know, like, I'll be down and she'll be up. Uh, and somehow we just... She just seems to know when I'm down and and I seem to know when she is and we just you know I just go out of my way to try and do something nice or you know help her in some way so we don't really have anything you know that we we do or any anything like that we just accept yeah we just I just try and you know as far as I'm concerned I I, I don't I really try hard not to take it personally when she's down uh, because I mean you just you, sometimes when I'm in that situation I'm a bit of a mess so I know what I can be like and how 
women with the stupid things that come out of my mouth, none of which I mean. And, and she kind of recognizes that too. So I want to work at my marriage. And so we both, that's one of the things that we have done in our lives that we said that, you know, once a year we're going to, at least once a year, we want to go away and just have time for the two of us. Uh, and so we would go away for a weekend or just one night maybe and, and just spend some time together, just go out for a meal and, and just enjoy the two of us. Uh, and I think that, that that to me is an investment in our marriage. And, and I see just, you know, whenever I see her down, if I can do something nice for her, that's an investment in our marriage that I that I look at. So, yeah, there's nothing, I don't think it's anything special. It's just something I guess we do, Andrew. It's the beauty of acknowledging when you, you when you know when the partner needs your help and being able to do that something special. Gavin, you were telling me earlier that um, that Mark Twain quote, 20 years from now you'll be more disappointed by the things you didn't do and everything that it says. You were saying a lot of people have said that you're living the dream, you're actually doing mm. it. Can we finish off with you giving some advice to people about how do you follow your dream? Well, I mean, you've got to be sensible about it too. Like our... All of our kids had left home. Um, we, um, you know, they, they were all had grown to that point, and, and our daughter got married, and um, and then uh, so we, you know, because they had our responsibilities in that area had reduced dramatically. So we didn't just, you know, as soon as we got married, go and do this or anything. It was it was just the right time, and so we recognised that, and and this was something that. Um, that you know, as a result of the things that had happened in, in our life, I mean, we hadn't we, we haven't actually discussed some of the other things that you know that um, have happened, and you know, like Shona, a month after we got married, she got breast cancer, and uh, so we had to you know deal with that as well, which was a, a bizarre thing. So for us, life we we we've seen how short and how fragile this life can be. So it was just a matter of about. You know, doing it, as I say, doing it sensibly at the right time. This is the time for us. Some people, you know, will, will swap countries and, you know, go overseas and, you know, and it's the right time for them to do it. And so for us, it was the right time. But um, we, we both enjoy sailing. We love, we love getting out on the water. And, um, and so it was, it was kind of one of those things that, yeah, let's do it. We can, we could afford to do it because, you know, we had sold the, um, the family home and the rental. And so we decided, yeah, that's, um, it's time to do it, so let's go for it. And a lot of people do say the, you know, that uh, they use the quote "explore, dream, discover." But the first part of that, you know, about being disappointed in that. I mean, I just, I don't want to get to that point. And you know, for us, this life is about living life now. It's not, not about you know, sitting at home and going through the motions. And um, like I said, there is a time for that type of thing, you know, and getting your head down, bum up, and working hard. And there is a time for that. And sometimes we just need to, you know, knuckle down and get it done. But, you know, there's also a time to enjoy life. And to, and for us, for the, you know, the few years that we're going to be doing this, um, uh, we want to enjoy it. And, and, and that's what we're doing. Well, I've enjoyed catching up with Gavin James and hoping to find out what happens on the next part of his adventure. Happy sailings. We hope you have good weather. Wind in your sails. I don't know what all the fancy stuff is to say. (laughs) But thank you for joining us on Reset 42. Uh, It's my pleasure, Andrew. None of us know when life may need a reset, but I hope this episode is one you can keep where you need it or share with someone who does. 
Join us for our next Reset 42 episode by subscribing wherever your podcast love lives. Visit us online to share the episode. Show notes can be found under the rock where we hide our house key at www.andrewpitchford.com forward slash Reset 42.